I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Plus. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. Sometimes life comes at you fast. A year ago, Richard Glick was chairman of a Federal Energy Commission and poised to get renominated to another term. Now he's out of a job. On today's episode, we break down what went wrong and what it means for the Biden administration's climate goals. Hello and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. In Washington, you can survive making a few enemies, but you can't survive making the wrong enemies. That's one of the lessons of the career of Richard Glick, who, until recently, was the chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Glick assumed this role shortly after President Biden took office, and the president renominated him to another term in May of 2022. But that nomination never even came up for a vote in the Senate Energy Committee because the chairman of that committee, West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin, was not a Glick fan. In March, he hauled Glick before his committee for a dressing down, and the issue was a proposal Glick was pushing that would have made it harder for gas pipeline projects to win FERC approval, and it didn't go well. Did, did you all have a lengthy discussion and work about, try to work your differences out at all as a group, five of you? Yes. Chairman, if, if I can. So a couple of things. First of all, yes, we did, we, we, as we do all the time, we did have a very lengthy discussion. We have, was it dispirited? Um, this issue has been dispirited for a couple of years, so yes, it's been very spirited. I want to say that, first of all... Ultimately, Manchin single-handedly blocked Glick's renomination, and now, at the start of the new year, FERC is moving on without him. Bloomberg Law reporter Daniel Moore actually spoke to Glick shortly before his time on the commission ended and asked him why he thought things went south. I brought Daniel onto the podcast to hear what Glick told him, but first I started off by asking him what exactly it is that FERC does. You know, FERC oversees... Um, wholesale electric rates, it oversees the construction of certain natural gas pipelines, uh, it, it reviews hydropower dam licenses, it's got kind of this wide-ranging regulatory oversight in the energy sector that's really, really important. A lot of people don't know about it, but a lot of this stuff does get baked into your retail utility bill. Uh, they, you know, they have a, a, an office of enforcement that goes out and make sure that utilities and, and certain companies are following the rules and not manipulating the market. So it's got this really important role. Um, and its members are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. So there's this idea that, you know, you want to make sure that FERC is is somewhat insulated as much as possible from uh, political interference. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. You know, why does FERC need to be this sort of independent body? Why can't we just have the Department of Energy do this? And it sounds like it's because the the rationale is we don't want uh, electric power generation policy to be politicized. Is that it? Yeah. I mean, the, the idea is that it should be insulated from any political uh, pressure. And, you know, the Energy Department as a whole obviously spends a lot of money on research and development and sets energy policy in that way, um, which can kind of the political pendulum can swing back and forth pretty quickly, depending on who's the energy secretary. And FERC doesn't in theory, swing uh, back and forth as much. I see. So let's get into Glick. Uh, He joined FERC in 2017. uh, And at that point, the 
the commission was dominated by the Republicans, and I get the sense he was mainly known for writing these sort of very blistering dis- dissents uh, for the policies that FERC was enacting. Yeah, he was in the minority, um, and he was his own commissioner. And so when you're in the minority on one of these commissions, you're usually writing pretty fiery dissents on, on a lot of issues and criticizing the chair. Um, one prominent issue that he was dissenting on um, over and over uh, involved gas pipelines and involved the commission's review of gas pipelines and, you know, pressing for, for stricter reviews of some of these proposed projects. I mean, these are these are interstate pipelines that FERC oversees. So often they're bigger projects, not always, but, you know, they're significant projects that result in the disruption of land and, um, and right-of-way issues. And so, you know, he, he dissented on a lot of those cases. And so he did, he made his name, you know, as any minority commissioner would, uh, opposing kind of the direction of the majority. But it's interesting you mentioned the gas pipeline issue because you actually spoke to another a former commissioner on FERC who worked with, with Glick, and he actually said he privately advised Glick, like, hey, maybe sort of back off on, you know, writing these dissents so uh, forcefully because, you know, you might be boxing yourself in if and when you become in the majority. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. He was not only in the majority, he was nominated to be chairman. Uh, and then he kind of what <laughs> went really, really hard against this gas pipeline thing. Can you, you know, lay out the whole story here? Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, and there are a couple of different um, theories and explanations, I guess, for it, depending on who you talk to. But yeah, former um, the former FERC chair, Republican FERC chair Neil Chatterjee, um, spoke with me a little bit about, um, and he's been talking with me over the last year about gas policy. You know, he's he's been critical of what the former chair Rich Glick has been doing. And um, yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting point because, you know, when you're in the minority, you're your own commissioner, you're writing for yourself. And then when you become chair, you, you know, you have a lot of power and you are drafting kind of these initial orders and sending them around to other commissioners trying to get support. But at the end of the day, you do need support and you need at least three commissioners if you're on a five member commission. But ideally, you want to get bipartisan support. And so, you know, what ended up happening essentially was that um, uh, Glick, when he became chairman, started pursuing a number of different policies. But one of them was, you know, updating this more than two decade old uh, gas policy statement, which basically guides the commission's review of gas pipelines. And he wanted to update it, he said, in response to recent court rulings where environmental groups had been successful in challenging commission decisions on pipelines. Um, the gas industry saw it as, you know, a, a political move, um, a, an unfair move against their industry that would slow down projects. And basically, I mean, essentially, you know, it's, it's a very complicated proposal, but ultimately the one of the main effects of this would be slowing down the process of approving new pipelines to take natural gas from point A to point B. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would it would scrutinize these applications um, and and require more of the applicants. It's it's fair to say. And and Glick's argument all along was, look, this is we're responding to court decisions. There have been there have been prominent cases in recent years that have vacated FERC's pipeline approvals um, that have then caused delays, right? Um, and so, you know, Glick's argument was, I'm I'm creating certainty for the industry. The industry should ultimately want this because, you know, our approvals will be legally durable and you won't be as delayed in the long run. The industry, you know, oft, 
did not see it that way. That that's kind of a, a, a understatement, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, there again, there it's it's complicated, but um, you know, it, it didn't help that days after Glick went forward with this and finalized this gas policy, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. I mean, it was it was days after that happened, um, and so there was this intense blowback for that reason, but. You know, I, I think the I think the main reason was you have um, you know very powerful Senator Joe Manchin, um, who is chair of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, who um, is very supportive of gas pipelines, and and he saw FERC as essentially slowing things down when he wanted to, FERC to speed things up, and 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 the Biden administration in general to speed things up, and and that was kind of the basis of. You know, calling Glick and the rest of the commission before his committee in March and haranguing them for doing this and urging them to pull back, which they ultimately did um, just days after, you know, weeks after that that committee hearing. Um, and so it was huge political blowback. <laughs> To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think is so interesting is that this, these are the kinds of things that happen when you have a 50-50 Senate is that, you know, the the most conservative member of the majority, who in this case arguably is Joe Manchin, can can do these kinds of things where he can single-handedly block a nomination from, from moving forward. I, I wonder what Glick thought of this, though, because, you know, do you think he was surprised by all of this? Do you think he was blindsided? by what happened? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question because, uh, you know, Glick is not unfamiliar with how these things work. I mean, he came directly from the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. Um, he was a staffer on the committee. He, one of his top advisors, was hired from Manchin staff on that committee and was trying to shepherd his renomination through the process. I mean, it's it's one of those one of those questions that that doesn't have an easy answer. But, you know, I asked the, the I asked Glick last month, you know, do you have any regrets with how you approach it? And he said, absolutely not. Um, I may have made these draft policies and to kind of soften the blow instead of just immediately finalizing it. But, you know, we need to move. We, we needed to move on this because of these court orders and we can't defy the courts. Um, so he's sticking by his decision. But you know, I just I, I think part of it is, yeah, he was dissenting for a long time on these issues and felt a lot of pressure by what he had said in the past. And maybe, you know, some of the people who supported him to go out and and tackle gas policy right away and not, you know, not wait for any anything else. Um, I think Ukraine, the Ukraine invasion added fuel to the fire. But, you know, ultimately, it seems like purely political reasons Manchin is in cycle he's running for he may run for re-election in 2024 his term is up um it was days after Manchin eviscerated President Biden for making a comment about 
um, wanting to close down coal plants. And so it, it just it, it's it's strongly suggested that, you know, Manchin really surprised everyone. I mean, Glick wasn't the only person blindsided by this. I, a lot of people I've talked to who follow FERC pretty closely expected Glick to get his hearing and it just was abruptly uh, canceled in November. That's really interesting because sometimes I feel like, you know, having been reported on the Hill in the past that a lot of the things that happen there that appear to be surprises really aren't, that everything kind of is planned out, even though it sort of, you know, seems like it's not, you know, a lot of times a markup or or a, a committee vote. It's pretty clear that the outcome of that is decided well in advance. But I guess every now and then there are surprises where, you know, things like this can happen. And, you know, it sounds like Glick genuinely, and Glick and the Biden administration just genuinely didn't see this coming. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I heard from Manchin's office first in November that they weren't going to support Chairman Glick's renomination or hold a hearing. They weren't comfortable holding a hearing for him at that time. And it seemed like genuine surprise from everyone that I was calling about it that day. And and yeah, I mean, I've, I've been surprised a number of times this year, um, and most of it's been in uh, Manchin has been involved in most of those things, in, including, you know, pushing, you know, the climate bill, um, the climate bill was dead, and then it came back and it was resurrected. And so it, it's, yeah, it's been a very surprising year. But I think this is one good example of, of where people were, were genuinely surprised, and, and few people really expected that to happen. Well, let's move away from Glick himself. And, you know, I will, you know, his future, I guess, is uncertain, although I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere. Um, and talk about the Biden administration's climate policy, because, you know, uh, Glick was a uh, foot soldier in implementing that policy. Do you think that the Biden administration's overall climate goals are threatened by this and, and that, um, you know, this may actually prevent them from reaching their goals? Or do you think that ultimately this is just a, a speed bump in, you know, a much larger process? Yeah, I mean, certainly there's much so much more to combating climate change beyond FERC and and who was the chair of FERC. Um, and, and, you know, even in the energy department, you have uh, billions of dollars now b- being doled out for clean energy technology that, that could really move the needle um, on climate change. Um, but, you know, I would argue, you know, where FERC is, is most powerful is in actually getting projects in the ground um, in the clean energy space. And so, you know, uh, the the FERC chair sets the agenda. They run the meetings, as we know. Um, but and there's a, there's a handful of really complex, um, somewhat controversial rulemakings involving transmission planning. It's a huge one, regional transmission planning, and the rules around that. The rules around connecting more generation to the grid, which you have a bunch of renewable energy and batteries just you know in theory sitting there waiting to connect to the grid. They're ready to go. They're ready to be developed. Um, but the grid can't support it quite yet. And there are a bunch of other rules, too. And obviously, the gas policy statements, which are sitting there in draft right now, and, and nobody expects those to move anytime soon. So so just as three examples, I mean, you have these rulemakings that, um, you know, m- many would argue are, are really crucial to getting, like, actual tangible projects connected to the grid. So you have all this money coming out from the Inflation Reduction Act and Infrastructure Bill but FERC is kind of like that that permitting and regulatory piece that 
has been you know causing delays over the years for a lot of these projects so that's where that's where you may see you know the needle move a lot and and if you have a two two commission that's split between the parties uh much like the senate was uh you may have you may have delays or you may have final rules that are not you know maybe as aggressive as climate advocates would like all right well that was uh, daniel moore talking about the very bad, no good, horrible 2022 for Richard Glick. Um, it'll be interesting to see where, where he winds up uh, in the future. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for talking. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on our website, news.bloomberglaw.com. That website, once again, is news.bloomberglaw.com. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle. And is edited by Zach Sherwood and Renee Schof. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court, the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.